0: Good morning everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're just about ready to worship the Lord, so we ask that if you're able, stand to your feet. God bless you. (laughs) God bless all of God's people. Let's worship God. before moved by the sound of his voice sees that i was shaken and stirred can be calmed and broken for my regard through it all to not believe even when my eyes can't see and this mountain that's in front of me shall be thrown into the midst of the sea and through it all This way. As well. Wind.
1: Well, good morning once again. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad to have you with us uh, for worship this morning. Just a couple of quick announcements on your way inside. You should have received a bulletin, and on the bulletin we have both a prayer card and a Connect card. Now, if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, please take a moment, fill out that Connect card, uh, help us get to know you, help us stay in touch
0: And uh, also on the opposite side, um, if if, uh, you or anyone that you know
1: needs prayer, um, we invite you to take a moment and fill out the prayer card. It says, let us pray for you. And uh, after the uh, service, uh, you can uh, take these cards along with any tithes and offerings, drop them off in the boxes by the entrance or in the boxes or the, the baskets in the foyer. And I'd like to invite up Pastor Steve for a message. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh, wasn't that song amazing? I love that song. (laughs) When I was writing that song, what I was trying to do was um, (laughs) nothing, because I didn't write that song. Uh, Boy, did not that song make you want to get in March? It makes you want to go to battle, uh, go somewhere and do something. Uh, Wow. Well, um, I love boats and I love water. Uh, How many of you love boats on the water? Okay. Yeah, so some of you who spent professional time, those uh, deadliest catch boats, those gnarly looking things up in Alaska, those boats across the ocean on behalf of the U.S. Navy, okay? Um, if you, if you, you might be a retired man, admiral, but you never lose your love for the sea, right? So uh, if you're a recreational boater, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I go way back with boats. Uh, I got my first black eye at two on a boat coming from America, from England to America, and then we moved back to England and... Uh, getting on the the ferry, the ferry that went across the Mersey River from Liverpool and when I was about five. And a song came out about it. I thought it was the greatest thing that somebody had come up with this song in the early 60s called Ferry Across the Mersey. I thought, well, yeah, man, it's exactly what life's all about. Because when you're on that ferry on that river, you think you own the world. It is just so big and you see all the shipping industry and all that's going on around you. Uh, so for me, boats have always been quite exciting. I love uh, kayaks, uh, canoes, uh, rowboats, little dinghies. Uh, I love my, one of my favorite boats is a 17-foot uh, Montauk Boston Whaler, indestructible, gorgeous. I can tell you, there's nothing like cruising across Lake Tahoe in um, a wooden boat, uh, a Chris Craft, just flying across on a beautiful day across uh, Lake Tahoe. Uh, sailing, being on, on, on big ships. Uh, one time, years ago, a friend said, hey, you know, uh, you and Janet want to go to lunch with me on Catalina. I'm like, well, gosh, we live in Newport Beach, Catalina. Guys, that's like a four-hour boat ride for lunch. I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. And he said, no, I got a new boat. We got on this guy's boat. It was 45 minutes It's one of these cigarette boats, you know, and I don't know why they call it a cigarette boat, unless you're just so you're so crazily on adrenaline. When you're done, you have to have a cigarette. I don't know. Um, I like every kind of boat you can imagine. Um, I even like boat models. Uh, One time, in in getting ready for a long (coughs) sailing trip, I went into this uh, sail loft. A sail loft is just an industrial space, like a giant garage where they fix sails, they make sales and stuff. And I said, hey, I need to learn how to fix sales." And the guy said, yeah, sure. This guy Skip up. And we're talking about fixing sales and how you basically sew them. And he said, hey, by the way, do you like, you guys are going to go on this trip. You got a cool little boat. Do you, you like boat models? I said, yeah, I love boat models. He said, just walk through that door. And so I walked this door, and it's a space about as big as this space here. And one guy's there with a big grin on his face, this guy, Ken Gardner, and I was looking around at this guy. It was like Santa's workshop, and he's making models of boats. I just be, I was beaming. He he lit up. And he smiled. And he goes, "Pretty cool, huh?" I said, "This is amazing. This little cubby in this industrial part of Costa Mesa. You're doing this. Who gets these boats?" He goes, "Pretty much everybody who has won the America's Cup. They call me up and they I make models or I make half holes, you know, of boats. And uh, if you go into San Diego Yacht Club." Uh, You'll see all these beautiful boat models. Look closely, you'll see a bunch of them that say Ken Gardner. Uh, just crazy how neat these little boats are. Um, now, they're perfectly scaled replicas. He oftentimes makes all the parts and even the tools to make the parts. But here's the thing. Um, they don't go anywhere. One time I, I stopped by and he goes, oh, I got to show you this. And there was a container out in the, what was the little, bar, little parking lot. And it's this container. We go in the container and it's just filled with these... Exquisite models. Some of them, I saw one recently was at auction for fifty-eight uh, thousand dollars. Like, this big, and I said, "Where's this going?" Because the boats can't go anywhere. But in a container, they were going to New Zealand for the guy who had won the America's Cup that year, and he was going to distribute this, you know, these to people. Uh, but I love boat models. Uh, an old man named Mr. Peel, long gone, in Newburyport, Massachusetts, made these exquisite models of things like. Um, um, well, all, all the boats that would go around the Horn. Uh, and it was just amazing uh, to see those things. I just love boat models. If I'm anywhere I see a boat model, I have to stop and look at it um, and then remind myself, these represent adventure, discovery, industry, but they don't go anywhere. Um, in fact, a, a friend of mine who's a boat dealer was telling me that most recreational boats in San Diego, which is, we have one of the largest, uh, you know, pleasure boat harbors in the world. Uh, Newport Beach is also huge. It's not big when you see it, but when you start following where all the boats are, it's, it's amazing how many boats can fit in Newport Beach, San Francisco, but San Diego and Newport are really the epicenters for massive amounts of boats, 90% of which never leave the dock. Isn't that a wild thought? San Diego is filled with beautiful boats. I mean, especially these big, like 51-foot navigators, 63-foot navigators. And basically, they're condos for people from Phoenix. People come out and sit on their boat all weekend, have a great time in San Diego boating, boating. And then they go back to, to, to Phoenix. Um, so what's the connection? None. I just love talking about boats. And so I'm just, I'm pretty much going to, you know, show a slideshow now of boats. Uh, uh, no, it, it, it's tempting for us to think about our faith as a perfectly scaled model or a boat safely docked and, and, and taken professionally care of. You see guys literally in, in scuba gear cleaning the bottom of boats in San Diego. Why? Because they don't go anywhere and stuff grows on those boats and every once in a while you got to take the barnacles off the boat or, or the seaweed off the boat. Um, but our faith in the Lord is full-sized and functional. It's meant to go somewhere. Uh, God has equipped us to navigate life by our faith. Now you can navigate life without a faith. Lots of people do. Maybe you or you might be one here today. I certainly have tried to do that. A lot of shipwrecks out there. An old prayer says it this way, Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. Every sailor knows that. Probably every naval officer knows that one. Admiral Rickover would give this to every captain of his ship. Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. Um. Last time Jan and I were in Israel, we were eating, eating dinner at this restaurant. We've eaten there a lot of times, and the lady who runs this restaurant on the Sea of Galilee said, "Hey, have you ever met my son?" I, uh, "No, <laughs> why?" "You know," I said, "No, I haven't." And and uh, I'm with this group of people, and we're gonna uh, you know get on this this you know um, shuttle and go back to our hotel, and she said, "We're just gonna meet him." I'm "Okay, sure." So this guy comes out, <clears throat> and his name is Ido, and Ido has a shaved head and this. And uh, he just looks like a, uh, he could be the Israeli version of a linebacker or a fullback in the NFL. So this is Ido. And he's got like some ACDC t shirt or something on, you know. And I said, Oh, hey, Ido, how do, how do you do? And he said, You wanna see my boat? I'm like, Wait, why not? You know, just don't hurt me, you know. And so I said, Well, I gotta go with this group. And, and he said, I'll oh, just take a minute. I said, Okay. So I say to the group, Hey, if anybody wants to see this boat, come on, we'll go see this boat. And we'll walk back, you know, and otherwise, you know, everybody go back. Well, it turns out that day we had been uh, in this place, and we'd seen this boat that had been built 2,000 years ago, stuck in the mud and then excavated. It's called the Jesus boat. It's the exact replica of a boat that Jesus would have done, teaching from, Peter and friends would have been fishing from, and they somehow extricated it from the mud and they've restored it. It's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. So if you ever get to go to the Jesus boat uh, museum, all of this is the Jesus boat. But you look at it, you go, this is phenomenal. I said, well, so what's your boat? He goes, it's the Jesus boat. I said, well, I saw it today. I hope your boat's in better shape than the one I saw. You know, he, he said, yeah. So what I did is I built the Jesus boat. You built it? He said, yeah. I said, how? He said, well, I used the Fibonacci numbers. I'm like, What? Let me just tell you about, you know, this, these formulas. So I went to see, the, uh, to see the boat. It was jaw-droppingly beautiful. It was the most stunning boat. I said, do you take this out? He goes, yeah. He goes, I run the boats on the Sea of Galilee. My grandfather grandfathered in. We fished the Sea of Galilee. And I, I built this other boat. You want to see my other boat? We catch big billfish in the Mediterranean on this one. I'm like, wow, are you some kind of an engineer? He goes, no, I barely got out of high school. They were so glad to see me go. He's just a natural craftsman. And this boat was so stunningly beautiful, so perfectly engineered. Uh, And I said, gosh, you know, this is just like the ones mentioned in Matthew's gospel. He goes, yeah. Yeah. So in Matthew's gospel, we see two boat stories involving Jesus and his disciples. One in Matthew 8, one in Matthew 14. And uh, earlier uh, this year, we went through the Beatitudes, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, uh, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And now we're going through the details. We're going back through Matthew, but looking uh, at the details, looking a bit more closely what Jesus was teaching and what he was doing. Why? Because God is in the details. He wants to be in the details of your life. We're not just thinking about a God that's out there, and wow, what a great concept, and how beautifully poetic and figurative. And No, we're, re- we're singing about a God who is scary close, who wants to know us so well that we might be uncomfortable going, to life. you really want to know me that well? And he would say to us, I already know you that well. I want you to know me better. So here we are in Matthew's gospel. We'll 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 look at these two brief passages, one in eight, one in 14, because though they happen at different times, they're connected. There's a theme here that we'll see. So we start with uh, Matthew 8, uh, verses 23 to 27, if you have it, if you have a Bible, if you have your phone, if you just want to watch it on the screen. It says, then Jesus got into the boat almost built by Edo, but 2,000 years earlier. And his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. Now, furious storm is the best we can do in English, I guess, because what it says is, a mega seismos. This is a very unique phrase, a word, seismos. Seismic. You're a seismic expert. You're an expert in the state of California on seismic retrofitting. Uh, that's a critical thing to know in our culture. Turkey found out the hard way how bad it is if you haven't gotten it right the first time. And we're scrambling to catch up seismically. Well, this is, You don't see this word anywhere in the New Testament, but here. And it was a mega seismos, which, which means these hardened, experienced uh, navigators on the Sea of Galilee, where big storms can come up, are experiencing an earthquake-driven storm. It's a great quake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. That's a lot of words. In Greek, it's three words. Lord, save, perishing. (laughs) And when you're in a panic, you get really effective and efficient in the way you use words, right? Pretty much it goes down to help. Help. If you've ever been close to drowning, you were having a great time body surfing or swimming, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, you knew there was a rip current, I can do it. And you're swimming, 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 and you're getting tired, 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 and pretty soon you're going, help, (laughs) because you don't want to be too uncool about it. Hey, anybody out there, help. pretty soon you realize, I don't have the bandwidth to be cool. I've just got to start screaming help, right? You've been there maybe in some other situation, whether it's in the water or in some other situation. Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Let me pause here. Uh, I don't like the feeling of fear. How about you? I do not like that feeling of fear. It's a horrible feeling. It feels horrible in your gut. It feels horrible in your nerves. It feels horrible in your mouth. You know that feeling of fear. Ironically, some people love fear. The most profitable, legit movies made today are horror movies. The returns on a horror movie investment is so superior to any other kind of film. You want to make a lot of money, you invest in a horror film because you make a lot of money back. We love to be, to be fake scared. We like to be faux scared. Uh, every kid going to Disneyland uh, loves that thrill of, oh, my gosh, we're going into the jungle now. Who knows what's going to happen? I remember when we first took one of our kids to Disneyland, and our youngest at the time was probably two and a half, and she saw Minnie Mouse and freaked out. She was terrified by Minnie Mouse. I'm thinking, this is going to be a very long day. (laughs) And I'm apologizing to Minnie. Minnie, it is not your fault. You're not scary at all. I don't like the feeling of fear. Uh, But we like being fake scared, but true fear, as in terror, is a horrible, horrible feeling. Dear God, where's my kid? Uh, I was talking to a friend this week, and I said, Hey, what's your earliest memory? And he said, God, oh, that's a good question. Um, he said, It was his birthday. That's why I asked him. Uh, and he said, I guess I was about two, three. I was a toddler. And I managed a jacuzzi at our house, and I, I kind of slipped down a step, and all of a sudden I realized I was looking through the water up to the surface. And I said, What'd you do? You panic? He goes, No, I was just kind of sitting there thinking, I hope somebody is watching out for me. What a thought to go through a toddler's head. And he goes, I, I felt, started to feel fear because I, I couldn't get out of it. I'm just standing, I'm literally looking at the top of the water, but I can't get to it. And he said, just then my dad jumped in and pulled me out. Fear, incapacitating us, and we know there's nothing we can do. You're, in a, you're skiing, having a great day, and you get in a small little avalanche, and all of a sudden it just gets a little bit bigger. Next thing you know, you're, you're buried in the snow, and you don't know if you're up or down, so you spit. And the spit goes like this. And you realize, oh, no, I'm upside down. And you can kind of muffled hear things, but you're, what the snow does is set up really quickly. So I have a friend who's in this situation. He's done first ascents in Alaska. He's an amazing mountaineer in, in every aspect of it ice, uh, whatever, and now he's upside down, uh, and he can't move. And he thinks, this is how I'm going to die. Uh, I got about three, four minutes, and it's over. Thankfully, the, top, the bottom of his skis were just barely visible below the snow. And he's, he was dug out. I said, what did that feel like? He goes, I was totally helpless. And I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm going to die just having a fun day skiing. I don't like the feeling of fear. Uh, Fear is our emotional and physical response to a threat to our well being. We all know that. And sometimes we we stimulate it at a horror movie because it's fun, or a thrill ride, or a a haunted house. But real fear, uh, nobody likes. But here's the interesting thing about fear it is contextual. The people making the horror movie are not scared all the crazy, grotesque things that are happening in the film as they're filming it, they're not scared of it. The actors are not scared. Nobody is fearful making the horror movie because the context is we're making a movie. But the people on the set, while they're making the movie, could be thinking, oh no. And they're thinking of all the things they might be fearful of, right? So fear is contextual. Jesus was asleep. He had a larger context of what was going to be happening on this boat ride. He was sleeping. If you've seen Alex Honnold climb anything, if you haven't seen him free solo, El Cap, you're missing out big time. But he's climbed all kinds of things. And you, I to this day, it doesn't matter how many times I've watched it, I'm so nervous. I'm nervous for Alex. He, just, they just, he and his girlfriend got married, now they have a baby. I'm, I'm worried for the baby. I know he's going to make it, because this is an old film now. Several years out, right? Why is Alex Honnold not... Scared because he's a psycho. No, he's climbed it 30 times. He climbed it 30 times on belay. And then when he climbs it free solo, he's going, This is old hat. This is familiar territory for me. Fear is contextual. Our neurobiology supports threats and thrills. Is that interesting? That euphoric sense of, Oh my gosh, that was so exciting. And the one that says, oh, dear God, I might die. Or someone I love might die. Or I might lose everything I've worked for. The same neurobiology supports it. So we're wired for these experiences. But it's contextual. We have awesome experiences and we can have awful experiences. So here's Jesus' disciples absolutely terrified. And the only context they have is, I've spent a lifetime on this water in many storms I've never experienced this. That's why Matthew tells us it was a great quake, a storm unlike any other they'd ever seen. Gordon Whitefoot died this week. He's best known for this, his song, the Edmund Fitzgerald. 1975, the largest boat to ever s- to be launched on the, on, in the Great Lakes was the Edmund Fitzgerald, named after Northeastern Insurance Company who commissioned the boat. The largest boat on the lake, uh, the biggest boat to ever sink on the lake. 29 men went down, never to be found again. And yet, we love it when we're out doing wild things, rappelling out of a helicopter onto a boat in a rough sea. Somebody says, Why would you do it? Because they let me. I got the lucky straw, I got to do it. But these disciples were terrified. And he was teaching them something they hadn't expected. So Jesus, this this puts in context his response to them. Remember he said, let's get on the boat. And he led them, got on the boat. And he knew where he was taking them. So his response all of a sudden in context, because fear is contextual, so is this story that Matthew's telling us. So Jesus' response is entirely consistent with the context in which he had gotten on that boat and where he was taking these disciples. They didn't know it yet. So Jesus replies, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? When you first read it, you think, that's so unreasonable. These guys were scared out of their wits. You should have been comforting them. Instead, he's confronting them. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. So they go from great quake to great calm, because it says in this, in this word for calm, it's, uh, it's another mega, a mega calm It was a mega quake, now it's a mega calm. Uh, So they're just, you know, they're just, how do I get my head around these extremes? It goes from that to that. And so if you follow Jesus, you must be willing to trust Jesus as he leads you. This is called wise love. Wise love. Lots of people fall in love and they make commitments, not out of wisdom, out of whatever else, I don't know, because they realize at some point, I've trusted the wrong person. I've invested money in the wrong company. I was caught up in the euphoria. I was intoxicated by the experience and all the possibilities, but I wasn't wise about how I loved. I wasn't wise about the commitment. So when you trust Jesus, it's not being naive. Yeah, yeah. I said last week, you know, Stephen Hawking asked about what you know. What is Christianity? It's it's uh, fairy stories for grownups who are afraid of the dark. And then. John Lennox, uh, now emeritus professor of math at Oxford, on the same day the reporter ran right over and said, hey, Dr. Lennox, Dr. Hawking just described Christian faith this way. I know you're a Christian. How would you describe the Christian faith? The Christian faith. Uh, He said, how would you describe atheism? He said, well, atheism is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the light. If you follow Jesus, you must be willing to trust Jesus as he leads you. Because you're naive and you're, you're gullible? No, because you're loving God wisely. Jesus doesn't find delight in our faults and our failures. Jesus finds no delight in your faults and your failures. But he will use them to teach you faith. He didn't turn to those guys and go, you guys are a little rattled out there. Whoa, you guys are a little scared. Didn't mock him, didn't humiliate him. He just said, Why why are you afraid? Excuse me while I rebuke the wind and the waves. So Jesus uses these experiences to build us, to refine us, to form us, to bring us to maturity as we navigate life. It's real time education. It's real time education. It's doing it to learn it. The fancy word for this is praxis. You all know if you're, if you're in graduate work, you go, oh, yeah, it's, it's about praxis. You're right, practice, practicing, doing stuff. You learn stuff, and then you do stuff. That's what Jesus does. In the midst of the actual life you live, you don't learn stuff at church. You gather data about your resources at church, and then you go learn it in the world. You don't learn stuff here. You get informed, inspired maybe. You get shaped, you get organized, you get a larger, better perspective. But then the learning starts when you walk out the door. So Jesus takes the light in our continued development as people of faith, not in our humiliation. He wants, us to be independent. he wants us to be dependent on him so we can live in a sense autonomously, independently. Not separate from him, but as fully developed human beings. Every adolescent has to go through individuation, They have to go through a process of differentiation, and it's a little awkward when they have to say to mom and dad, I'm not you. Thank you for being you and for all you've done for me, but I am not you, I am me. And this is the awkward transition we go through with kids, is that how do I care for them, protect them, I hope somebody's watching out for me. Meanwhile, saying, it's, you know, go, go out there. That's what God wants for us, and he teaches us this stuff in real time. He's with us always, but we can't always see him. So in a sense, he's saying, are you ready to go out? Are you ready to move on? He wants us to thrive and flourish even when circumstances aren't favorable. And this is the process that leads to growth. It's as if he said, okay, here's the model of what we're creating. Here's what it looks like at the dock. Uh, Let's go. Let's go somewhere now. Opportunity. He gives us opportunity to do stuff. Do you know where the word opportunity comes from? Obporto. It means you're leaving port. You got to leave port for, to seek any opportunity. You got to take some risks. You got to step out. But we step out by trusting the Lord. But it's a big storm. Right. I'm with you. Oh, Okay. So we never outgrow our need to grow, and it's lifelong learning. This is a theme we see throughout the Bible. The Apostle Paul said it this way. We don't have a, a slide for this, but this is Philippians 1:6. Paul's writing um, to the people in Philippi. He says, "Look, I'm confident of this: that he who began a good work in you will continue developing it, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Completion, te- telios. He will be perfecting it in you until one day it'll be done. You'll be perfect in him. It'll take a while." For some of us, we have to repeat grades. But I mean, you know, eventually we'll be fully completed in him. And so wouldn't you know, Jesus repeats this lesson with his disciples in Matthew 14. It says, after doing all this ministry together, it says, now right away, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Now he has to make them get into the boat. (laughs) It was, follow me, sure, let's go. And now it's like, really? No, come on, get in the boat, it'll be okay. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. He made them get into the boat because all the stuff they were doing, they could have been there forever doing it. But he finally said, look, this isn't all we can do here. we got to go elsewhere. So he takes them on the boat uh, while he dismissed the crowd. Uh, So they're on the boat going where they're supposed to go, and he's still there dismissing the crowd. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. If you have spent any time on a boat, you know sometimes the current and the waves don't agree. If you go past Catalina to San Gregorio Island, not that much further, it's always confused seas. It's just too many things, too many vectors and forces going on at one time. If you haven't gotten seasick already, this is where you will get seasick. You cannot get seasick. It's just your your gyroscope is, and and it just... It's confused seas. So that's what they're in, confused seas. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. In Greek, it's a phantasm. It's a specter. It's something. But there would be no person walking out here, so it's something not a person, but it looks like a person. And he cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now really, it's an aorist tense, so it means he came to Jesus. So now he's in Jesus' presence. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Kyrie, sasame. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith. Oh, it's you again. This you of little faith is one word. It's little faith. Ah, uh, you one of the little faith people. Ah, uh, yes, I recognize you. You're Peter Little Faith. You live down the street from John Little Faith, I think. You guys are related. Again, he's not mocking him. He's just saying, is this the identity you want? I got a bigger, better identity for you. Sometimes we think we have a big vision for our life and God's going to get in the way of it. I've got this big vision. Stand back, God. Don't hold me back. And, and, and gently, I imagine God saying to me, Steve, it's a very small vision. If you want a big version of that vision, invite me to be part of it. And he's not playing, can you top this with us? He's saying, I want to take you places where you never imagined you could go, but you can't get there without the other kind of resources I want to give you. I want to change your name from little faith to big faith. Big faith isn't the same as bombastic faith. Oh, we can do anything. It's not belligerent faith. Uh, We can defy the rules of gravity. Let's go off the building now. Right now, there's two pastors in Kenya in jail because they convinced a hundred of their followers to starve themselves to death. 100 people were told, if you starve yourself to death, you will get to see Jesus. You think? It's like a joke. It's like a very bad joke. I tell you what, if you die right now, you'll get to see Jesus. But the way they put it together was, no, if you want to have an ecstatic spiritual experience, deny yourself food long enough, and you will see Jesus. As if you're going to have a vision of Jesus. No, you'll have a funeral at which people will invoke Jesus' name. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, when um, Peter and Jesus, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. You know you've come through a growth period in your life, a, a growth moment, a part of the rhythm of your work and rest. Maybe every week you hit one of these moments. Maybe every day sometime you hit this moment when you simply acknowledge Truly, you are the Son of God. That's the touchpoint of reality that we need to come back to over and over and over again. Ah, Truly, you are the Son of God. I'm beloved of God. You are the Son of God. Now, this is a very full, pregnant phrase in the sense that Matthew is writing this to people who live in the Roman Empire. There was one person referred to as the Son of God and Lord in the Roman Empire, and that was Caesar. On pain of death, you would confess in some setting, just a formal setting, oh, just have to say this. Or in a parade, you have to scream it out. Or in any other situation, you were forced to say, Jesus is Lord, I mean, Caesar is Lord, the Son of the living God. In this case, they recognized who the Son of God really is. Truly, you are the Son of God. So here we are. Peter, having already seen Jesus' command over the wind and the waves, maybe feels a little confident. Oh, guys, I've seen this. I've seen the thing with the wind and the waves. Watch this. Jesus, call me to you. I'm not mocking Peter. I'm just saying, you know, there's a sense of bravado about Peter that you can't not love. What could possibly go wrong? And so he asks Jesus to call him out of the boat, and Jesus will Come. And then the wind and the waves, of course, still under Jesus' command, are you know, doing what they were doing. And Peter's thinking, this is amazing. But then he starts to focus on his fear. And he sinks. Uh, so we have no right to judge Peter, and there's no need to judge yourself when you sink. Uh, perhaps Peter was being a bit cavalier in his request, but to his credit, he had the courage to get out of the boat. Uh, some of you have read the book or or actually heard him say the words, John Ortberg, phenomenal communicator. Uh, And he says, uh, uh, you know, uh, if you're going to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. We had him come speak here years ago, and I was out of town, and I came back, and somebody said, hey, that guy you had come speak, what was that about? And it was a Navy guy, an older Navy guy. And I said, what was the problem? He goes, well, who the hell would get out of a boat? What? He goes, "Well, if you want to walk on the water, you got to get out of the boat. Why would you want to walk on the water? Why would you get out of the boat?" And I just I started laughing. I, I not had him. I just man, "That's a great perspective. Mostly that makes a lot of sense. But if it's Jesus telling you to get out of the boat, there's probably a really good reason that you should get out of the boat. In most other circumstances, never ever get out of the boat. I love the way it says, then Peter got down out of the boat. Every sailor knows you never get down out of a boat. The only time you get out of a boat is a step up into the life raft. You don't want to get out and leave the boat because the boat might float for a very long time and your raft might not. We have no right to judge Peter. Don't judge yourself. When Jesus says get in the boat, just get in the boat. When Jesus says get out of the boat, get out of the boat. Jesus is never incons- inconsistent. He's always strategic think about that. Well, this passage said do this, this passage said do that. See, the Bible can't even agree. No. <laughs> What's the context in this situation? Sometimes Jesus says go. Sometimes Jesus says come. I'll, with, I'll be with you in all situations. Just because you hammer, you have a hammer, not everything is a nail. We can become wise and discerning about the way we understand uh, what the Bible is teaching us to, to say and to do. You know, when to hold them, when to fold them sort of thing. So what kind of circumstances are you in right now? Whatever kind of circumstances you are in, either begin to put your eyes on Jesus or don't take your eyes off Jesus if you're already watching him. Remember, he's with you, he's for you. He's in you by faith. Somehow he's in you and it doesn't get crowded. There's always room for Jesus to be in you. And he doesn't reduce you into something less than you. He expands you into the better version of you that he's developing. Don't turn away from him out of fear or frustration or apathy or anger or shame. Can you imagine? Uh, well, I, can't, I don't even have to imagine, I know. Peter later denies Jesus. Following the resurrection, then Jesus comes to Peter on the beach by the same lake and he said, Hey, can we talk? Jesus, Peter's like, uh, I don't want to talk. I'm too, I'm too ashamed of having denied you. And so Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Why did he do that? To humiliate him? No, to remind him, here's why you love me. Because I'm standing here, risen from the grave, telling you, I want you to feed my sheep. You learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Teach those to other people. So turn toward him. We all sink, but we don't need to stay in the water. In fact, don't just sink. Seek. Seek him, even when you feel like you're sinking because you've not been paying attention to him. Seek him by reading his word, pouring out your heart and mind to him in prayer. Turn to him, seeking wise counsel from him. Turn to him, uh, Turn to him, and then in his name, seek the counsel of wise people who know him well. Your goal in life is not to ask people to tell you what to do. It's to say, I've, I've I've, I've, as I've gone to God's word, as I've prayed, as I've invited God's wisdom and counsel to shape me, I feel like I want to confirm it and talk to other people too. Say, hey, what do you guys think? What do you think about this? And it's amazing to see the wisdom people come up with if they've been walking with the Lord. Sometimes they'll say, hey, you know what? Go for it. Yeah, but I might die. If God's calling you to do that, you should do that. Or, hey, this is a great opportunity. No, I wouldn't do that. Why? Are you afraid? No, it just feels like you're doing it for the wrong reasons. A guy wanted to be, literally, a, a true story, a guy wanted to be president of this college, a very prestigious college, and he's wrestling with a decision, because he really liked what he was doing, but he thought, this would be awesome. And so he sat down with some brothers, very wise followers of Jesus, and he said, hey, you guys, here's my situation. And as they listened to him, they didn't say much, and he kept talking about it, and they would ask him just general questions. Hey, well, what else do you think about? Finally, um, one of the guys said, you know, I'm just curious. It doesn't really sound like you want to do this. So why do you want to do this? He said, well, what I really want to do, I just want to, I want to open the newspaper and see my name having been assigned as president of this college. Yeah, wow. That'll last about two seconds. And then you have to be the president of the college. <laughs> you have to get on a plane to go raise money for the college and come back and deal with faculty So you can't avoid fear, but you can face it, you can name it, and you can trust Jesus in it. This is a very active process of trusting Jesus. It's not a call to passivity or naivete. It's full engagement. Letting Christ transform us, heart, mind, soul, strength. Trust Jesus to guide you through whatever you're going through. We don't need to live in fear or let it live in us, but facing it and confessing it takes its power away. What are you afraid of? If you name it, It'll have less power over you. When you start feeling fearful, let it be a call to turn to God, whose perfect love casts out fear. Now, it might not happen instantaneously. You might be doing this over days and weeks, processing. But take courage. He's with you. What fears are you experiencing right now in your life? Just do a quick mental inventory. What fears do you have about you, about the people in your life, about situations you're in or you can see shaping up on the the horizon? Maybe they're not even fully developed, it's the future you're afraid of. I'm this age, in this stage, the, the economy is in a tailspin. Will I have enough money to, you know, will I have my health? Will I who knows? What are you what are you experiencing right now by way of fear? I've come to understand that because Jesus is 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 with me, I am more than my fears. At the same time, I realize I have every <laughs> capacity and I still fear. So I'm glad that Jesus is with me in my fears and helps me face them with courage. So bring your fears to Jesus, and he will bring you through your fears. Don't say, Jesus, I'll get back to you when I'm done with the fears. I've got to get focused on this. Say, Jesus, I'm going through these fears. Would you lead me and guide me? Remember, remember, everything we're learning is in real time. It's praxis. It's right now. Real life, real time application. And so he'll teach you a lot of lessons about courage along the way. Because courage, of course, is strength of heart. And one day we'll be beyond fear in a place where fear can no longer touch us. Uh, Later, read Revelation 21 if you want to understand where you're going. Revelation 21 will tell you your final destination in Christ. In the meantime, I invite you to collect your fears and bring them to Jesus. Here's a little thought experiment. Collect all your fears, small ones, big ones, major ones, ones that are very clearly defined in front of you, that have a time stamp on them, others that are just about, ooh, I don't know, I hope this doesn't. I was so concerned about our kids growing up, you know, gosh, how do I protect them, how do I care for them, how do I prepare them? Now I'm doing the same thing with grandkids. Like, when does it end? Well, it ends when you stop loving somebody or something. You don't have that sense of, oh, I hope it turns out okay. So here, uh, collect all your fears, bring them to Jesus. Tell him what these fears mean to you. Literally, just sit there on your own and say, okay, Jesus, here's the fear. This is what this fear means to me. And then, this sounds counterintuitive, tell him all the reasons why he can't help you with that fear. Jesus, here's this fear i got, and here's, of course, why you cannot help me. Just make yourself do that. You'll feel like a fool, but keep doing it. Because we need to put it in front of us like that in order to get our head around it properly. Tell him all the reasons why he can't help you with them. Explain to him carefully, slowly, repeat it if you have to how this fear or that one is an exception to what he says in his word. I know your word says this, but this fear is fairly unique. And And then imagine, continuing this with thought exercise, imagine as you point out the uh, the immensity of your fears, each one in a row, and the whole giant pile of scary, overwhelming fears. Meanwhile, as you're pointing out each one, telling him why he can't help you, he's also pointing to each one doesn't say anything. He just, you, you, you're pointing it out to him, and he points at it. And as he points, they get progressively smaller. And you look at him in amazement, and he just smiles at you, kind of a knowing smile, like, yeah. And you say, Lord, how did they get smaller? And he says, they didn't get smaller. They are what they are. They're just what they are. That's what they are. They haven't gotten smaller. That's just what they are. You're simply seeing them as I see them, he says. Maybe you've heard the expression, big, big God, small fears. Small God, big fears. Big God, small problems. Small God, big problems. Then he says, by faith you can see all your fears from my perspective anytime you want. Your fears will diminish and your faith will become strong as you remember that I am Lord. I am with you, you are secure in me, and I will help you face your fears and rise above them. And so like those who are in the boat, we worship him saying, truly, You are the Son of God. And it was on that last meal, uh, that last occasion before he went out into that very dark night and to the cross and beyond that Jesus, uh, in that meal with his disciples, took some bread some unleavened bread, celebrating the Passover and he broke it, having blessed it, saying, this is my body given for you do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, later in that meal, he took this cup with wine and he blessed it. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant by my blood. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. Every time we get together to celebrate the Lord's Supper of the Eucharist, Holy Communion, and we worship him, we're saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You were, you are, and you will be. That's the holy name of God. Yehovah, Yahweh, He who was, he who is, he who will be. That's him. I am, the great I am. That's who we have gathered to worship today. Your fears are to us huge. Don't take anything away from how, the, how immense they are. But then just put it in the proper context of how immense he is. If you know him, you know this. If you don't know him today, open your heart to him. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this Holy Communion uh, experience is your first communion. Don't receive this. Don't come up and take this if you don't believe this. But if you've been far from him and you feel like I want to come back to him, come on. Come home. We welcome home. It's a homecoming. If you believe in him, come. Uh, if today, you're, for the first time, you're believing in him, come. You're welcome to come to the table. Nobody is refused. If you come in Jesus' name, saying, truly, you are the Son of God bring your doubts with you bring all the disconnects you have in you just come in his name so Lord Jesus we thank you that you invite us to come to you from wherever we've been in whatever condition we're in Lord you've said come to me and learn from me take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy my yoke is light you've told us that you will give us peace the peace that passes understanding you said that Lord in this world we'll have fear, and travail, trouble but you've also told us that you have overcome the world so that's why we come in your name right now to receive this bread and this cup because truly you are the son of God and in your holy name we say amen so the people who are serving communion come on up this is uh, communion in a little kit and so uh, you'll see at the top take a little piece of bread out the wafer, and then uh, open up the juice and drink that as we worship him uh, together. Let's do that. If we can pray for you before you leave, uh, go right out into the, uh, around the corner to the lovely prayer garden. Somebody will be there to pray with you. They'll say, how can I pray for you? And if you don't know how to say how you want to be prayed for, just say, I don't know, just pray for me. Or if you have a concern for someone else or a situation, let them know and they'll pray for you. Uh, we'd love to offer you something to eat, drink while you're hanging out and talking on the patio. If we can do anything to help you take that first step with Jesus or that next step with Him, uh, let us know how we can do that. Pull you into a small group show you how to read through the Bible, uh, show you how to get a wise counsel for issues that maybe feel overwhelming to you right now. Maybe you have a bunch of gifts that you want to use. Uh, we can help you connect to all those places where there's big needs in San Diego and beyond. Uh, if you want to uh, contribute to the church, there's a, an offering box on the wall, or you can send it in. You are the main offering that we're concerned about. Offer yourself to Him and see what He will do as you start to walk with Him now and forever. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you. May the Lord be gracious to you because he loves you more than you can ask or even imagine. Walk with him in newness and fullness of life, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for being here today.